Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 17. Glad you could join us. In this episode, Hope and Bonnie interview Sarah Thomas, a Colby educated musician who is a testimony to greatness developed during moments of silent dedication. Sarah describes one of her best memories as the undistracted reading of primary sources during high school. Listen to the episode and learn how leisure functions as the basis of both culture and personal excellence. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom, liturgical musician, podcast fanatic, heavy library user, and Colby parent ambassador. I have two lads and two lasses. The youngest is in fifth grade, the eldest is in 10th, and this is our fourth year homeschooling with Colby. And I'm Hope, Bonnie's younger sister and a Colby alumna in a phase of life after being a student, but before becoming a parent. I studied communication theory and philosophy in college, then I went to law school. Now I'm an attorney, an avid home cook, and the fun aunt to Bonnie's kids. Today we have one of my best friends, Sarah. If you want to introduce yourself, I think that would be a great place to start. Thanks, Hope and Bonnie. Thanks so much for having me on Colby Cast. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, yes, my name is Sarah Thomas. I am a professional violinist. Uh, I live in Cincinnati, but I'm originally from Philadelphia. I am starting a string quartet with some friends from school right now. and. Um, in the middle of the pandemic, obviously, it's been difficult to get out there with live music. So we're trying to be creative about having some pop-up concerts in parks while the weather's still warm. And just we're just enjoying the process of rehearsing right now together. Um, I also have about 23 private students in my studio. And I teach some violin group classes as well. For listeners who have been with us since the first episode, Sarah is my friend who I mentioned that um, I got a call from the admissions office at my college toward the end of my freshman year saying, hey, you know, we had never heard of that homeschool curriculum that you used until you applied, but now we have another student. Can you show her around campus next week? And so I told that story on our first episode, and we are thrilled to have the young woman herself with us today. We are big Sarah fans. So as you mentioned, you're from Philadelphia originally, and we are always interested in like the different requirements that states have for homeschoolers or like what your homeschooling experience was growing up. So could you describe some of that, like what what your Colby experience was, what your Pennsylvania homeschooling experience was? So I went to preschool. That was my school experience growing up. <laughs> I was, my brother came along when I was about two and I was a very, very, you know, active two-year-old. I think I went through my terrible two tantrums. And so my mom just needed some peace. So she put me into preschool. And after that, uh, for kindergarten, my parents were looking around the area, different private schools and I think some Catholic schools to see if they would enroll me there. And nothing was just really clicking for them. And so they decided to try homeschooling. And it definitely had its ups and downs. I remember my mom trying to was teaching me math. <laughs> and I just, it just wasn't clicking for me. And my mom was getting frustrated and we were just trying to figure out how, how to make that work. Um, but it, it worked. And my other siblings, as they grew up, we were all homeschooled together um, for a while. And but then in high school, when it came time for high school, my parents asked me if I wanted to go into a s actual school, into a public school or private. 
And I said, no, I, I just wanted to stay, stay homeschooling. Um, and then we enrolled me in Colby. And I remember um, for Colby, of course, the, the different options, like the summa cum laude and the different levels of intensity, so to speak. So I chose to do the top one, which I think you did too, as Hope. Um, I think I started on the top one and then I backed off to the manya cum laude because like you said, it's it's intense. Yes, it is intense. It is intense. And I just remember um, some of my favorite things about Colby were coming downstairs and I would sit on the big couch under the window in our family room and I would just have a lot of time just reading like the primary sources. Um, like I remember Thucydides and Herodotus. It was a lot to get through the battle strategies and all those different things. But I just remember feeling no pressure to be anywhere else, which is one of my favorite memories of of Colby and homeschooling. It was following those study guides they would give you to go along with the the thick text and just feeling like you had all the time in the world to delve into that time period and that ancient writer it was very cool. It felt very raw. Like, I wasn't reading it through the lens of any textbook. Yes, we're big fans of the primary sources around here. We, I, I grew to love the primary sources. I will say I, I struggled with it a little bit with all, the, all of the battles in ninth grade. But I really did come to love it. And that's one of my favorite things about Colby now. So, I love hearing your perspective about just the space you had to take in what was set before you for your whatever was on your agenda that day, just the time you felt you had to really enter into what you were what you were studying that day to really get into it rather than like, I have this much time to get this done and I've got to whip it out and then we move on to the next thing and we've got to go, 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 or any number of other pressures that that you were able to set aside and, and really delve more deeply into what you were studying and actually <laughs> internalize it that way. That that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite things about my homeschool experience and something that now being a teacher and seeing some of the public school rhythms for kids and just the schedule and what kids have to go through now, um, I, I appreciate the leisure that I, I experienced. <laughs> so going back to your question, Hope, about just growing up on the East Coast, um, we in Pennsylvania, at least at the time, we homeschoolers could participate in extracurricular activities through the local public schools. And so I took advantage of that with soccer and tennis. So that was really great um, avenue for me to meet other kids in the neighborhood and also to have the competitive sports experience with some really great coaches, um, which I'm so glad Pennsylvania allowed that. It was, it was awesome. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is really good to have that um, openness and that welcoming to have sports and extracurriculars available to everybody. Um, there was one year that I was visiting you in Pennsylvania, and I remember seeing some of your younger siblings studying for like a, a yearly evaluation or a review with a Pennsylvania certified teacher. Am I remembering that correctly? Yes. Yes. So every at the end of every academic year, um, we would put together a binder of all the subjects that we studied that year. And we would have to go in. It was like an interview process with a certified teacher who would evaluate us. 
And I remember getting a little bit stressed, not stressed out, but just <laughs> apprehensive to make sure that all the the details were in the binder and putting together, it was like a sort of a collage of the year and you wanted to be comprehensive in, in what you studied and it was a good way to review what you studied. So I would have things to tell the woman that was asking questions, so. <laughs> And we always passed. So that's good. We always got to move to the next grade. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. It does yeah. sound intimidating. Kind of set you up for your juries yet to come. Music, when you as a music major, perhaps. <laughs> right. But the woman was always very nice and supportive. And you could tell she met with lots of homeschool families and just thought it was a very good way to educate your children. Um, and we did have to do the state testing I remember I received uh, an iPod one year. Uh, we were enrolled through the Pennsylvania Cyber Charter School and we would get computers or different kind of, they would pay for our curriculum at one point growing up too. Um, so you could get some state funding. But I received an iPod because I didn't do too well on my math state testing. And it was for the No Child Left Behind, I think. <laughs> And I just remember thinking that was pretty cool that I got an iPod from the state. Very encouraging to hear, though, that that the woman who conducted the um, evaluations at the end of the year was so had such a positive approach to you. That scenario that you describe, it sounds like it could be defending what you've done. And so I'm glad that it was not like that. I'm glad that it was a supportive time, like a good review of the year and kind of a more of a capstone. It It actually was kind of reassuring to me because I loved feeling recognized by an institution. <laughs> I, I just, you know, homeschooling, you re you recognize that you're not graded like other kids in school. You don't really know kind of where you lie in the general average of, of people. And, and so it was nice to feel like the state said I was okay, or they knew about me in a way. <laughs> I love being accountable to have deadlines and grades and professors monitoring me. That was I love, I liked moving into that. That's one of the things I appreciate about Colby, where we live, we don't have the same requirements, but at the same time, Colby sets us up if we were to have to um, have an evaluation like that or submit other documentation for our school experience. And we, we take full advantage, our family does, of, of all of the um, record keeping for our own purposes. And, and then if we were to need to provide some documentation we would have it anyway. yeah I think that's smart Bonnie I think that's good to for your own sense of peace as well just to know that if your kids for some reason did have, go into school it would just be a smooth transition um, I played started violin when I was three and a half and my mom picked it out for me I then I had a little 30 second size violin yeah, there's a picture of me at one of my first recitals and I'm walking across the stage in a little pink dress with little shoes and the other kids look giant next to me <laughs> and they're probably, you know, 10 or something, but it's just pretty funny. When did you kind of first think that you wanted to pursue playing violin for your uh, college program? <laughs> Yeah, well, I applied to many colleges going in, I think probably around 13 schools. And I visited quite a few of them as well, which was a fun process. I, I remember some family vacations, we would have, we would sort of stop in at some colleges up in New England and just while we were up there. 
Um, but my mom and I also had some fun, like a girl's time going to visit some of the schools I applied to. Um, and, and a lot of them, I wasn't, I was undecided going in what my major would be. And I sent supplemental DVDs to the schools of piano, me playing piano and violin. And just to, for the chance that I might get some extra scholarship or something like that. And I'll never forget Dr. Reed, who was the uh, dean of the School of Music at the time um, at the school, my undergrad. And she called our family phone and <laughs> my, she, she told me that I would get a full tuition scholarship to, to go to school and study music. So, yeah, that was an offer oh. that I not passing up. <laughs> For sure. That would be a fun message. <laughs> Yeah, it was a good start. So you had many hours in practice rooms and preparing for recitals and things like that. And then you also did the honors program at our college with the great books and um, the liberal arts focus on rereading both some of what we had read in Colby, but then also getting other perspectives from our professors or other focuses in the great books program. And so that was, that was, I think a neat feature of our college was that you could study music or engineering and then still have that connection back to the liberal arts. I don't think I knew that you didn't arrive. Well, you arrived being a music major, but what else were you considering? What other disciplines were you considering if, if you hadn't majored in music? Well, I, I really loved French. That was my language growing up. And my my mom and dad had a French tutor from Brittany who would come to our house growing up. Since I, I probably started French when I was maybe seven or something. So I took it for a long time. And uh, I, I, I might have considered French. I also liked psychology. So that was my minor for a while. I was getting a Bachelor of Arts in music with a minor in psychology. Um, and my dad's a psychiatrist. So I had that background of hearing him tell about his practice growing up. You walked the chart pilgrimage then put that French to use. Yes, and my youngest sister, Irene and I love, we still sing the French um, Hail Mary together. We learned a beautiful like uh, minor version of the French Ave Maria. Yeah. Seeing there were over 10,000 people walking the pilgrimage from all over the world and you could see them just stretching in front of you and behind you and all just singing and praying the rosary and um, the priests would hear confession in the back of our little group sometimes and it was really powerful. Wow, and how long was that? How long of a, of a pilgrimage was it? It was three days, three day pilgrimage um, and it's a little over I think 60 miles from Paris to Chartres so we were walking and we camped out two nights and we would have mass two night two days we had mass in a huge field with all these people and then the final day pen, the day after pentecost um is in the chartres cathedral um, which was unbelievably beautiful i think my favorite church <laughs> an experience and you had studied abroad in college we always like asking people about what it's like after you kind of have been homeschooled you've been you enjoyed or struggled your way through or otherwise you know you've completed your 12th grade year and you're out in college and kind of working toward 
the final steps of adulthood. And so then you went to Europe, right? So what was that like? Like coming from being homeschooled, did were there skills that transferred? Were there skills that you uh, wished that you had had that you found were a little lacking or like any of any of that? Hmm. Well, yes, my I went abroad the fall of my senior year uh, to Vienna, Austria, and I got to study with a wonderful Polish woman um, who lives in Vienna. And I got to take lessons with her, which was amazing. Um, that was, I think, being in Vienna that semester, I made the most progress possibly ever <laughs> on my on the violin. It just, it was so inspiring being in that city of music. And I went to over 30 concerts in one semester. Um, it was amazing because you can go and do standing room at the State Opera House for, I think it was seven euro, you could get a ticket. And uh, I got to hear the Berlin Philharmonic live and the Vienna Philharmonic. And I was just so immersed in the sounds of the world's best orchestras that I think it just couldn't help but change me and inspire me. But yeah, to your question, as far as feeling prepared, um, I don't know. I think I think being homeschooled, all, like I was describing that sense of security and leisure that homeschooling gave me. And I think it, it that safety made me feel secure to go exploring the world. You know, I always knew I had this this strong background to fall fall back on. And that makes all sorts of sense too. You've been able to develop at your own rate, and then all these other skills too. Not just the academic getting assignments done, but all these other skills that you've been able to you had been able to cultivate at home before you cast out into the world for your college experience and then beyond that but all the time you were building up the foundation to be able to navigate that makes a lot of sense. and I think one thing that I know I didn't recognize when I was in the student's role was how much learning those skills would open doors later I enjoyed being homeschooled and I wanted to be homeschooled I chose to be homeschooled for high school rather than to go to a brick and mortar school but I think that sometimes I would feel kind of stuck in the house, like, oh man, I'm reading, I'm reading about the world. If there are people listening right now in the middle of a pandemic who are especially feeling like they never leave the house, it's really more, I remember, I think it was 11th grade, there was a reading in the Colby curriculum about, by uh, Hilary Bellick, or Hilary Bellick, I, I, I never say his first name correctly, but anyway, he was talking about the importance of winter time and like the way that the leaves fall in autumn which is the time when we're recording this right now and it can seem like there's not really a whole lot happening but they're really uh, nurturing and fertilizing the things that are going on underneath the ground and helping the root systems get established so that then in the spring and the summer the plants and the trees can have their best exterior like obvious growth and the flowering and and producing fruit but that it's so important to have that kind of nurtured time in the ground to get it all started and so when you're describing like the security of having the time homeschooled like preparing you to go out and explore the world and to go study abroad in Vienna or to walk the chart pilgrimage like that I think is a real uh, testament or illustration of this solid root system that you got 
established that you're very grounded and possibly pun intended there. And then you have gone great places. <laughs> well, speaking to your point about feeling, co- you know, cooped up in the house, I think, you know, have you always heard people say that homeschoolers can be friends with anyone of any age? People yeah. always have that perspective, right? Yeah. And I think that is a huge life skill that I learned being homeschooled. And you being by yourself in the house, I mean, yes, my all my siblings at one point all went to school and I was the only one still homeschooled because I'm the I'm the eldest. And that feel like you have to go and make your own opportunities happen when you're by yourself doing your schoolwork there. If you're going to have this community or other experiences, I've learned, you know, you have to go out there and you have to not be afraid to put yourself out there, which I still struggle with. It's it's hard. It's always hard. (laughs) You've had great success with individual teaching and, and group teaching and even institutional teaching. So maybe that's a good segue there to kind of talk about you got your undergrad and then you got a master's degree in violin performance and um, had a gap year in there teaching full-time and then kind of taught part-time during grad school and now you're teaching full-time again did I did I get that right yes yes pretty much yes so after college I wanted to take a year to prepare myself for the graduate school audition process which is pretty in-depth so while I was out of college, I needed to support myself during the, the process. Um, and I'll, there are a lot of fees attached with applying to graduate school programs. So you have to pay an application fee like you would, I'm sure, I assume for most other disciplines, if you were pursuing a master's in English, let's say. Um, you also have to fill out, you know, essay questions and things like that. Um, but for music, it's in performance, it's performance based, of course. And so they want you to send a video to them, um, to see if they will invite you in person to come audition for them live. So sometimes schools ask you to record yourself playing and then they watch you. And then if they like you enough, they'll ask you to come and and audition in person. So that's a little background into the, the pre-screening videos. Um, But yeah, so in the midst of of doing that, I was also playing for the signature string quartet in a a symphony. Uh, So two symphonies, basically, at the same time. And I was subbing for one that was more of like the higher tier professional symphony. Um, And then I was also teaching through um, a couple of elementary public schools. I was teaching violin group classes. And I was teaching at a Sistema group, uh, which Sistema is based out of South America. And it's basically for underprivileged students to be able to study music. And a United Methodist Church hosted and sponsored this wonderful program for kids to go after school and take lessons on instruments. So I taught for them and it was a very busy, busy year. There's a friend of mine here in Cincinnati who was also homeschooled, coincidentally. She's a violinist, and this year she's applying for master's programs in violin. And so we've been sort of comparing notes on my experience and giving her some tips about what I learned through the process. And 
she was just saying how we were both talking about how it seems like sometimes the devil wants to get us off the path and get us distracted from what we're supposed to be doing. And sometimes that comes in the form of injury, minor nerve injuries or different issues you can get playing violin or just different obstacles that we've both experienced. And we're just supporting each other in the beauty of music and how it's it's actually a sacramental music, right? And it's such a, such a gift from God that he wants us to cultivate and bring to the world. So I'm very thankful to have her here in the same place to do that together. And we're actually in the quartet together. I like how you bring your faith into all of the different um, aspects of your career as a musician so that th- that is what it's all about is, is you using the, the gift you were given and cultivating the talent you were given. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember one student in one of the public schools that I taught, it was a Title I school. So the kids were from pretty rough area that attended that school. And one kid would come in with a fidget spinner. You remember when those, I don't know if those are still popular. I haven't seen them in a while. <laughs> and I think a lot of kids that struggle with attention deficit disorder, you know, just have trouble focusing for long periods. This one kid brought it in and I said, okay, you're going to play the violin. You're going to have to put that fidget spinner down and you're going to have to just put your hands on the instrument and just go for it. And I'll never forget that child's just calm. Like as soon as they started touching the violin and focusing on the violin, they just focused and they didn't need the fidget spinner because they had so much to think about with the violin, how to play with the bow, how to move your left hand. And that was totally immersing their brain. Like they didn't need to worry about frenetic extra activity, I think. Um, So there's just so much benefit to learning music, especially when you're young, I think. What was it like coming from a homeschool background, going into teaching in the public schools? Music at that. (laughs) Right, it was very... Yeah, it was very eye-opening because I was very was I was protected in my family. I felt like I described, I felt this sense of security and safety where I was. And especially my during my gap year, the teaching that I did then at the public school, I just saw kids, one girl whose both of her parents were in prison one morning you know, or one kid who witnessed a shooting in his own house. And these things that I never would have ever experienced growing up, um, just trying to be empathetic with that student and think, wow, you know, how can, how can violin help you today? Like, let's see if this can be an uplifting experience or just recognizing the power of music to heal and to take your mind to a higher place, even though something terrible might've just happened. So that was like hearing the kids' stories and just seeing how life is really tough for a lot of people. I think that was very, very eye-opening for me um, and helped me to be more appreciative of what I also received growing up. Oh, understandably, how, how could it not be? And I, I think um, even having the disposition to to consider your own, the gift you were given of of your upbringing. And then with the perspective that you gained from the experiences you went on to have and then offering yourself and how you can enter in to help someone else who was in a different circumstance. Sarah, when you were doing your gap year, I was in law school and some of our friends from college 
it seemed like after they graduated, they stayed kind of in the same place after they graduated. You know, they got a job. They may they may have a lot of success in pursuing what they wanted to do, but like they still kind of had the same worldview. Whereas I think the two of us, we had this continuing development of how we understood and saw the world. And we had a lot of conversations about how Colby really was an anchor for us in encountering and understanding and deepening our worldview all throughout because coming from a pretty safe and secure background and then I was doing a lot of court observations both civil and criminal and so there would be days that I would be doing criminal court observations and you had students who had incarcerated parents we were what 20 three or so plus or minus at that time and we were both and I don't mean to speak for you speak for yourself of course but those experiences were eye-opening but at the same time we were able to put them in context I'm looking for the right word here I don't know um yeah. I just developed that empathy and developed that um more nuanced appreciation and understanding of the world around us yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I think I couldn't have sustained that for more than a year. <laughs> Just the, the the amount I was doing and the, the type of work that it was, it was, it was good for the year. Um, but I think the place that God has put me in now in Cincinnati feels like a more sustainable, um, sustainable load for me because I have much more one-on-one uh, teaching right now rather than let's have 20 kids start learning the violin at once you know and uh so i i really think the one-on-one is is the best most effective way to learn learn an instrument um but the other thing i as you were speaking it, it reminded me of a book called leisure the basis of culture by joseph peeper i i don't know if you're familiar with him um, he's a philosopher. My mom is a big fan. I actually have never finished Leisure, the Basis of Culture. I need to. But, <laughs> but basically, the premise is that without leisure, you can't have culture. Because if you were, if everyone was responsible for, you know, raising their own food and doing everything that you needed to survive, like you would have no leisure and you wouldn't be able to create or play music or sculpt or write or anything if you just had to constantly survive. And so I think that's something I try to cultivate in my own life. It's like, I would call it feeding your soul time where you're not constantly working or on the go. Um, And I think that's hard in our time. Would you guys agree to, to find that space to create? I would agree. And I think especially the last six months, with a lot of people working from home that people have experienced that it's sometimes it's even harder to maintain boundaries between the various areas of your life when you're doing most of your living from home. You know, I saw a joke recently about petition to rename work from home to living at work. And I know I've, I've experienced that. I've talked to a lot of other people who have experienced that, that it's easy to let various things bleed over into your time and I I've heard of Joseph Pieper I haven't read any of his work so I may be missing the mark on 
on his thesis, but it sounds insightful and very worthwhile to consider this kind of the, how you spend your time and leisure or recreation, you know, you break down the word recreation, you get re-creation. And so I think that idea of this feeding your soul time or this uh, recreation time is really important to mention because I think there's always a, at least in, in our house when I was growing up, there was always a sense of like, oh, what else, what else do we need to be doing? Like, are we doing enough? What else do we need to be doing? Things like that. Sarah, what else would you like to talk about? Well, kind of a while back, I was thinking of mentioning about that orchestra that I joined in Vienna. Mm-hmm. I wanted to just mention that really briefly because, um, so so during my study abroad in Vienna, there was a girl who played viola and she and I want, wanted to be part of an orchestra for the semester. And so we researched and we found an amateur orchestra in Vienna that was having auditions. So we contacted them and they said that they would be happy to have us audition for this for the fall to join them for their fall concert. And so uh, we went and it ended up being in the basement of a pub, the audition. So that was pretty cool. I went down and played some Paganini and some Bach in a basement of a pub in Vienna. And very authentic. Uh, yes. it, was. <laughs> it was. And then they said that I could, that I got in and that I could play with them. And they invited me to stay to meet the other orchestra members. And everybody just came uh, a little bit later and we all sat around a giant table and drank beer together. And I just love that. And and a lot of them were from other countries. I think there were probably at least ten, eight or 10 different countries represented in the orchestra. And the conductor was French, but we rehearsed in German. And so, yeah, it was, it was really cool because I think homeschooling, that sense that you can be friends with people of all ages and all kind of walks, that's, that was what was bearing fruit in that experience. Did you already know German? How did this go? Like, how's that? (laughs) Good question. Yeah, I didn't, well, I started learning German when I went there. They had a three-week intensive program before we started our other classes. And so I was taking German, you know, intro German during my time. And it was, it was great because all the orchestra members befriended me and, and my friend, and they would help us practice German. They were very patient. That's really neat. It's one thing to grow up reading music that it might have some German indicators like tempo or um, any number of German words that we may have a few in in the wheelhouse just so we can (laughs) learn the music, but quite another to sit through a rehearsal conducted in German. (laughs) Yeah. Without that crash course first, yeah. I got used to the rehearsal numbers, like when she would say, you know how they say before measure 220 or something, or before letter C, four measures. And so I would pick up like the German words for those and the, and the numbers in German. <laughs> 220, you know. Immersion. Yeah. Immersion, yeah. And it just, it also was very cool because it didn't really matter that I wasn't fluent in German because music is a universal language they always say and it really is it was true because we were playing beethoven a beethoven symphony number four was one of the pieces and that's just everyone can understand that you know it's Mm -hmm. it was really cool yeah like living history too 
Mm-hmm. Let's see. When did you start going to music festivals? Because those, did you start that before college? Because those are like many residencies and that would be interesting, like going and interacting with people from all over the country or the world and in a different location and living there for a couple of weeks or even a couple of months with a lot of people from all over the place. Like, what was that? What was, what was your experience at whatever your first festival was? Brevard Music Festival. That was my first summer festival I attended. And that was the impetus for me to become a performance major because I loved the or- It was an orchestral festival. And it was, I was there for, I think, seven weeks in the college division and down there in the Smoky Mountains near close, not too far from Asheville, North Carolina, which was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful down there. Um, And we would perform a concert a week. So we would rehearse for a week and then give the concert on a Saturday night, let's say, and then we'd get the next cycle going. And I got to play Shostakovich's 10th Symphony which at one point, I think he has like a four T-C-C-C-C-C-C-M-O, like four or five Fs in there. <laughs> and it was an outdoor concert. So it was it was a little toasty, you know, in the summer. And we were just red-faced, just killing it on those loud dynamics. And I was totally into it. I just, I thought, wow, I have to do this for my whole career. This is awesome. So yeah, so I did that. And then I did some more festivals after that too, up in Bowdoin at, um, up in Maine. And I went to Aspen, Colorado and where else? The National Orchestral Institute, uh, down in Baltimore and near Baltimore. And, uh, I, yeah, there were people from all, all over the world, especially at Aspen. There were people from Israel and South America and Asia and Europe and all over. So it was it, in Iceland. There were some people from Iceland. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So it was just neat to to be around them and just hear their stories and just kind of be exposed to their way of playing. And yeah, it had lots of good benefits. Some typical college degree programs maybe having an internship or two like these. Are, I don't know that they're even, it's not even a parent parallel the internship to a music festival it's a completely different immersive experience like you're describing like this is the orchestral musician's life it's a glimpse of it for however many weeks in the in the summertime and I'm curious to hear how virtual lessons go you have students in a studio like they come to you or do you have a place where you teach lessons locally but you also conduct lessons online right 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 yes I I have two students currently online still but during the quarantine I taught exclusively online and I think only I think I only lost two students during that time so that was that was pretty nice Um, but I would say the the in-person when I got to resume in person in Cincinnati it's so much better (laughs) than online especially for younger kids where you have to it's you need a hands-on approach to put your hand with theirs and actually show them how to mold their hand for the violin. And you just can't do that through the screen. But on the other hand, it is it's it is nice to have more options. And for makeup lessons, that's been really nice, scheduling-wise, where we can just say, okay, you know, it's too, too crazy to reschedule, so let's just do a Skype lesson as a makeup, which has been, been good. Handy to have that option available. 
fascinating to hear your experience. Thank you for coming to share it with us. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.